4: Again with you on a Friday afternoon. It is Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey rolling toward the weekend, which for us kind of just means no Sports Talk Mississippi from 3 to 6 because the uh, days are kind of like all of the other days. Uh, Maybe a little bit more family time and uh, a little bit more time for Michael Borky to work in his yard and hang out around the grill. That seems to be what the uh, the the only difference between the weeks and uh, weekdays and weekends right now, right? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I was going to do all spring anyway, but with sports mixed in. <laughs> it was going to be watching or listening to baseball while working in the yard and putting stuff on the grill to smoke, right? Basically, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was so nice last year.
5: I put a baseball game on the radio via an app because that's how it works now through Bluetooth speakers that I put in my backyard, and I trimmed bushes for at least
4: four hours. I listened to nothing but baseball. It was awesome. Now I yeah. can't do that. Maybe you can go back into some archives and dig out and listen to games from last year, the uh, the ones that you liked the outcome of anyway. I don't know. Yeah, they I don't are, even know if that's available.
5: They are re-airing um, just NFL Red Zone. Like, you can watch the channel, and they, they're doing week by week from last year. So if you just missed a random weekend of NFL football, you can sit down and watch the scoring plays.
4: Yeah, I saw that uh, I guess that news earlier today, maybe it came out yesterday. Hey Dad, w- will you find yourself doing that? So each day the Red Zone is going a red Zone channel is gonna go with a you know it'll be week one and then week two and then week th- all the way through the regular season. Will you find yourself locked in on the Red Zone channel re-watching the entire NFL season from last year?
0: Probably not. Uh, I don't know that I'll go that far. I do plan to watch Monday night, watch the re-air of the Saints-Falcons game uh, from 2006, the uh, the first game back in the Dome. But as far as watching red zone all day, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen.
4: I, yeah, ESPN is what? They've kind of gone theme nights, so you'll have the yeah. best of Monday night football for the next five weeks. Yeah, and, then... and this Monday you get the Saints return to the Superdome. Yeah, yeah that's what Haiti was saying, that he was looking forward to watching so what are the other theme nights? Like I think it's Thursday night as a college football night. They're going to show you know classic college football games. I don't not classic in the sense of them being old. Well, I guess that's what what started. Was it last night? Yeah, it was last night with the uh, with the Texas and Southern Cal game. So that was the start of that. So uh, there are going to be some major league baseball games that will be on there as well and uh look they're just digging trying to find programming that is uh if if not compelling at least a little bit interesting rippy what's up
6: not much played some golf this morning now just kind of hanging out
4: did you what was the golf experience like
6: it was nice Went uh i went to mallard point it was cool it was just me and one other guy so we ripped around in like three hours it was great
4: each of you in a cart by yourself is that how they've got it set up
6: yeah and then uh but like it was wide open like literally i think we finished at like 258 maybe three on the button
4: wow and so what are, are there any specific rules that are in place don't touch the pin.
6: yeah they got one of those like well like i put great i know oxford country club had like pvc pipe but this appeared to be a cut up pool noodle out there to where like it you don't go like the ball doesn't go to the bottom of the cup
4: Oh, okay. So you can actually, the ball doesn't actually roll in and you pick it up where other people have already touched. That makes sense.
6: Yeah. I mean, um, it rolls in. It just hit, doesn't hit the bottom of the cup, if that makes sense. Like it's around the flag yeah. stick.
4: Yeah. I got you. Do, um, what, what did they say their rules would be going forward?
6: I presume the same.
4: I just didn't know with the whole social clubs announcement from the governor if uh, golf courses were going to be able to. So do you go into the clubhouse? How do you pay to play? Is there like an honor system or what?
6: No, so t- I don't. this may change tomorrow once the shelter-in-place happens, but today it was open. You just had to put on gloves when you walked in the door.
4: Put on gloves when you walk in the door, and you pay them like normal, and then you go out and play.
6: Right. Now, how That's that cool. goes after tomorrow, I'm not sure. Or yeah, after tonight, I guess, that- I guess I should say.
4: Yeah, that's what I was curious. So the shelter in place order goes into uh, goes into effect at five o'clock uh, this afternoon. It will be in place until eight a.m. on April the twentieth. Governor Tate Reeves has another press conference that uh, will begin in about twenty minutes. We will bring that to you once again live and uninterrupted here on Super Talk Mississippi. So at three thirty, we will step aside. Uh, For the duration of that press conference, like we did on Wednesday, you caught the tail end of it yesterday. The majority of uh, yesterday's press conference was on uh, Rebecca's show, Uh, Good Things. And uh, we want to continue to bring you that information. So you've got the latest from the governor of the state of Mississippi and the other health authorities that are involved. So that's coming up in just a little while. If you want to be a part of the conversation, you can do so on the C Spire text line. The number is 601-879-4395. At C Spire, they're not just saying they care. They're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day. From free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home, learn more at cspire.com slash cares. Borky, do we have any idea what's coming up in this press conference today? I mean, we're getting the the daily presidential briefings, and I keep thinking, you know, how many new questions are there to ask, but they continue to last for an hour and a half to two hours. These press conferences that Tate Reeves and the medical officials in Mississippi have been involved with have also been lengthy. It's like if you're a reporter in that setting, what do you ask that's new at this point?
5: Uh, That's a really good question. I feel like it's – they're modeling the presidential situation where they just they answer questions every day. If there's a new question, uh, we will get it to you. But I'm with you at this point. What else do we need to know? I guess other than you know, new cases are hospitals overwhelmed. Do you have enough ventilators? Are we good there? But outside of that, what else do you want to know? I, I yeah, do. They have, they-
4: Go ahead, hey, Dad.
0: They should send me and Rippy to these things because, I mean, if we can get answers out of a football coach after the first day of spring practice and extrapolate how great the season's going to be from that, we could easily find out everything everybody wants to know about this, this, this pandemic.
4: Yeah, well, maybe you need to uh, apply for press credentials and start driving to Jackson daily, and you can be a part of those press conferences. Yeah. <laughs> oh oh, you don't really want to ask those questions you just kind of threw the idea i don't
0: really want to drive down to jackson daily it's more the more the problem
4: yeah no i uh, i understand that and uh, i think we've got some uh, necessary travel only uh restrictions in place hey i want to uh i don't frequently do this but i want to give a thank you slash shout out so as we've told you we're kind of we're even more scattered than traditionally we have been. Forky is in his normal captain's chair in the uh, in in Studio X in the control room there at uh, our our TeleSouth SuperTalk Mississippi headquarters. Hey Dad is working from the SuperTalk studio in Starkville. He's the only one in there. Rippy is in our Oxford studio and I'm in my office at home. Kind of got a studio set up here as well. And this is a little like inside baseball. It's more than you probably care to know. But uh, for the last couple of weeks, the broadcast equipment I use is via Wi-Fi. And it's worked pretty well. haven't had many issues, but it's not as like strong and capable as a network cable, like an Ethernet cable plugged in. And so George, who is, uh, along with uh, Houston, uh, one of our fantastic engineers – he came and uh, helped – I say helped me. He actually did the work. I just tried to stay out of the way. Ran a, uh, a brand-new network cable from my attic into my office and also to the, uh, the folks at Sequel in uh, Oxford, the uh, electronics – or not electronics, but the uh, electric parts house. Uh, they helped us out with some uh, cable that we needed. And so uh, thanks to, uh, to George and to the folks at Sequel as well. So uh, all set – I might not ever go back to the studio, Rippy. You you may be there in Oxford in perpetuity by yourself.
6: It's fine. I got plenty of chairs. That's
4: good to know. You can uh, you can stretch out and, I guess, take your shoes off, and uh, nobody will know about it. There is an update from the Southeastern Conference today. We'll start with that. Uh, we also will get into some of what uh, Dabo Sweeney had to say. So sometimes when Dabo talks, we roll our eyes because it's a lot of ho-hum and whatever but I actually kind of like what Dabo had to say. He was a little optimistic, maybe a little more optimistic than we're getting in other places. I don't know if his optimism is spot on or if it's misplaced, but given the fact that we're getting almost nothing but bad news on a daily basis, I'm happy to hear from somebody who's got a, a little bit of an optimistic approach. So we'll get to that coming up in just a few minutes. This, though, was the announcement from the SEC today. All per in person athletics activities, including team and individual practices, meetings, and other organized gatherings, whether voluntary or required, as well as camps and coaches' clinics, are now suspended through at least May 31st based on public health advisories relating to COVID 19. The SEC had previously announced that in-person athletics activities were suspended through April 15th. So they have added six, six and a half weeks to that time frame. Also, virtual film review that's happening with coaching staffs and athletes uh, is now permissible up to four hours a week as opposed to the previously allowed two hours a week. That will start on Monday, April 6th. We'll take a timeout. Tell you what Davos said when we come back. They keep trying to tell me. i with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, oh, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borke, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Evo uh, Swinney earlier today. Maybe it was yesterday when he actually said this. Story from ESPN.com, their college football page. My preference is let's get to work and go play. That's the best-case scenario, and I think that's what's going to happen. I don't have any doubt. I have zero doubt that we're going to be playing and the stands are going to be packed. Sweeney said he created a TIGERS, T-I-G-E-R-S, acronym for players and coaches that stands for This Is Gonna End Real Soon. He also said he's planning only for the most optimistic version of events, despite concerns by others that the season might be delayed or canceled. He goes on to say, quote, that's just my mindset. I've got one plan, and that's to get the Tigers ready to play in late August, early September. I'll leave it to the smart people to figure out the doomsday scenarios. We've got one scenario, and that's to run down that hill and kick off in the Valley. Asked why he had this type of an outlook, his quote was this. This is America, man. We've stormed the beaches of Normandy. We've sent a rover out on Mars and walked on the moon. This is the greatest country. We've created an iPhone where I can sit here and talk to people in all these different places. We've got the smartest people in the world. We're going to rise up and kick this thing in the teeth and get back to our lives. And then... He took a shot at Nick Saban in Alabama. We don't need Apple Watches to know our guys are doing the right thing. (laughs) Okay, so hold off on the what are you talking about with the Apple Watches. We'll get to that story coming up a little bit later this afternoon. There's an in-depth story on The Athletic. Uh, by Aaron Suttles about Alabama and its use of Apple Watches and how that has got a whole bunch of other football coaches and strength coaches and whatnot up in arms, and they're wondering how in the world Alabama can get away with this. But let's unpack first what Dabo had to say. Question number one, does anything that Dabo said here surprise you in the least considering that it's coming from Dabo?
0: No, No, not at all. That that feels very Dabo-esque. If you you just gave me that quote and said, what college football coach said that, minus the Tigers thing, obviously, I would probably just guess Dabo's winning.
6: Yeah. Yeah, I hope Dr. Fauci drops the true meaning of Tigers at the next briefing. But aside from that, this is the same thing as Herbstreet, right? It's like, I appreciate the optimism as opposed to Herbstreet's pessimism, but he doesn't know either. Right,
3: sure.
5: No, but it is, it's it just, just so, sounds more
6: it's hopeful
0: and, and you know he's gonna embrace a message of hope, I guess.
4: The bottom line is we all want some good news and we all need some good news and there's not a whole lot of it right now. You know, whether you're looking at the stock market or you're looking at your own retirement or four hundred one K account or never mind retirement and, and savings accounts, just your own checking account. And if, if you're fortunate that there's been no effect, then, uh, well, you're just that. You're extremely fortunate. But if you're like many millions of Americans, you have felt a financial impact. And there's uncertainty that's there. And maybe it's easy for Dabo to say this. And, I mean, if he's wrong, no big deal. But if he's right, that's fantastic. I had a, uh, a conversation with the college athletics administrator earlier today, and he said, publicly, we're being as optimistic as we can be, and we're going to continue to be that because that's what we all want to happen. But we don't have the luxury of only looking at things in a glass-half-full, you know, blinders-on, optimistic way. We've got to make plans, and those plans include figuring out how to play a full college football season. And that kind of dovetails with some of what you heard and read yesterday in the, the story from Brett McMurphy that we were talking about from, uh, from Watch Stadium. What, what about um, we've stormed the beaches of Nor- Normandy, we've sent a rover out on Mars and walked on the moon, We've created an iPhone where I can sit here and talk to people. We've got the smartest people in the world. We're going to rise up and kick this thing in the teeth and get back to our lives. This is different, though. I mean, I know war is a a phrase that has been used. It's an invisible enemy, etc. But this is different than all of those things, isn't it? It is, but
5: I guess what he's trying to say is that we've got really smart people on it, and... It's just a message of optimism, and, and I appreciate it. Like Rippy said, he's not. it's not like he's more privy to information than Kirk Herbstreit was. It's just he's choosing to try to make the best of the situation, work as if football's coming back, trusting the smart people involved uh, to, to get us through this thing, and then when it's done, his team and his program will be ready to go. It's just really refreshing to hear this because, and if you – follow any national sports media people he was getting made fun of today for it Uh, even our, our favorite USA Today columnist said I don't live in the same world that he does and that's a shame because it's a much better world to live in than the miserable place that you exist in it's just nice for once to hear somebody in a position of influence not to say something reckless or stupid like oh this is nothing it's overblown it's a hoax whatever just hey look we've got really smart people on this I'm gonna keep working I'm gonna do it safely I'm going to keep working. My team's going to keep working. When the smart people figure this out, we're going back to football, and I'm feeling good about it. There's nothing wrong with that message, and it's about time somebody has it.
4: I agree with you. Like, 100% completely agree with you. And I feel like we've tried to take a pretty optimistic approach to all of this and and be hopeful and – Because the the, alternative is no fun. I mean, you're you're right, Borky. I mean, if you just choose to live in a world where everything's bad and you're miserable all the time, what a crappy way to go through life. That doesn't mean that we all don't have moments where we kind of sit back and we go, wow, is this thing ever going to get better? How am I going to get through this? How are we going to make it? How do I keep my family healthy? How do I keep from infecting other people? How do I keep from being infected myself? All of those things are relevant questions, and I think we all slip into it from time to time. But having a little more positive outlook on this, I don't know. That and stop congregating in groups of people. Stop doing dumb stuff. Like, like there is a path to us getting out of the coronavirus doldrums but not if people continue to spread germs everywhere that's right is it it, are things going to feel any different over the next three weeks starting at five o'clock tonight when this statewide shelter-in-place order officially goes into effect
5: not if you were doing everything that you've been asked to do for the previous
6: three weeks yeah, Not for where we live, Richard, doesn't seem like.
4: I mean, for the most part, people have kind of been doing what they've been asked to do, right? Feels that way. I mean, I, I still have to come to the studio because,
5: uh, God bless this world, I am deemed essential. Uh, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Parking lots are the the more this has gone on, the emptier they are. I mean, I drive by office buildings, I drive on the interstate yeah. with office buildings on it, and every day it seems like fewer and fewer people are out in moving around and doing things. So it feels like people are are taking this seriously. I, I had to go to the grocery store a couple days ago, and I'm not kidding. Every person I saw had gloves at least gloves on. So even the people that Your were out wooden. that I saw, yeah, yeah. My uh, my wife's making me put gloves on, which is probably. Uh, for the best so I mean at least that so even the people that were out were at least doing things the right way maybe it's the bubble I live in but it felt it was more comfortable being there knowing that everybody around me was doing that
4: hour and a half until the shelter in place order goes in for the entire state of Mississippi we are scheduled to go to uh, Governor Tate Reeves and his press conference uh, in just a matter of seconds or maybe minutes uh, he is set to address the state of Mississippi once again. There will be reporters there. We will play the press conference and the questions and answers in their entirety, just like we did on Wednesday afternoon. I know this is not exactly normal uh, for this particular radio program, uh, but it's what is important right now to uh, get all of that information out to you. We do remind you, you can text us on the C Spire text line, six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five six zero one eight seven nine 4395. C Spire and UMMC are partnering to help Mississippi cancel COVID-19 for a limited time. COVID-19 screenings are free through the C Spire Health app for anyone in Mississippi with fever, respiratory issues, or other symptoms of the disease. Learn more at cspirehealth.com. Philip in Starkville said, Dabo's statement is one of optimism and shows his Christian values. This country was built on those things, and it is what we need to get back to. That is from Philip in Starkville. Jeb chimes in. He says, it's Jeb. I say there will be football, and people watch out for the lane, train, and Ole Miss. I say we win eight games, and let's get some Jimmy Buffett today on this Buffett Friday. Oh, we well, will i
5: had to uh, I had to start the show
4: with Bill withers though I understand may rest he rest in peace yeah. may he rest in peace uh and James says that or excuse me Jason says the smart people will beat this thing, but it ain't going to be by august we'll see let's go to uh, Jackson to the governor of the state of Mississippi for his press conference
7: Tate to my left who is. Uh, the current president of the Mississippi State Medical Association, uh, as well as Dr. Claude Brunson, uh, who is an anesthesiologist by training, but is also the executive director of the State Medical Association. And so I'm going to call on them uh, as we move through this, uh, through this press conference so as to uh, let the people of Mississippi know and understand the level of expertise and the quality of the people that are working to keep our people safe. Today, At 5 o'clock p.m., our shelter-in-place order begins. That means that you must stay home except for essential travel or individual outdoor activity. You can go to the grocery store. You can go to the bank. You can get what you need to get by on any day. You can go for a walk or you can go for a drive by yourself, but you cannot Gather with groups unless it is truly essential, because that's how the virus spreads. Don't be around strangers or even friends that you're not already in constant contact with, like family or your roommates. That is what we are trying to avoid. I know that this will not be easy. I also know that working together, we can do it. We are Mississippi, and we can rally together to slow down the spread of this virus. We're not afraid of hard moments. We step up during tough times. You're protecting your parent, your spouse, your friend, your neighbor, and more by committing to follow the rules. You're protecting yourself. And I'm here to tell you today that this virus is bad. Previous generations were called to world wars. We We're called to stay at home for a little while. I miss church. I miss sports. I miss hanging out with friends. I know you do too. It's not fun, but it's the right tool at the right time to protect us from this enemy. Our shelter in place order will be enforced. It must be taken seriously. Lives are on the line. I want to put some minds at ease, though. If you try to comply with the spirit of the order, you're going to be okay. You don't need to fear some overbearing government action. We are asking our law enforcement officers to understand that this is brand new for all of us, and most are trying to. To get it right. Mississippi is still not China, thank God. As I said before, think of it like the speed limit. Law enforcement will be breaking up those gatherings or outings that willfully, knowingly, and blatantly go against the order. But most people won't have an interaction like that. Those of you who drive 66 on an interstate with a 65-mile-an-hour sign most likely aren't going to get pulled over. But those of you who drive 88 and run through stop signs are going to draw the attention of the police. We also need people to stay vigilant against the spread of misinformation. There were people spreading flyers in communities and online that threatened martial law enforced by our men and women of the National Guard. is simply not true there will be more false information out there get your facts from us on our social media or from one of these briefings and trusted news sources i've said it before and i'll say it again we are never going to break news or spread official policy through a meme on social media i can promise you that As we ramp up towards a very painful part of our cycle, our daily focus is the scaling up of our healthcare system. We need equipment, and there are people working tirelessly to secure that. We also need to mobilize our incredible healthcare workforce. They are on the front lines. They are risking their health to protect all of us. We owe them a lifetime debt of gratitude. We are going to have to be nimble and flex resources to areas that need it. We just had a very productive, very productive meeting about that with some of our state's leading physicians and leading hospital experts. So I'm going to turn it over to the experts at this time, leading the heroic effort to talk about what we're doing. First I'm going to ask Dr. Dobbs uh, to give us an update on where we are in Mississippi, and then we'll turn it over to some of these other folks. Dr. Dobbs? Thank
2: you, Governor. Um, Just as a quick update, uh, we did have 181 new cases reported today with uh, three additional deaths, bringing our total to 1,358, now with 29 total deaths. Again, we see rising case numbers over the next couple of weeks, and so this this is really crunch time. This is when we really need to be prepared. The health system is really anticipating a surge over these next couple of weeks, and it is so very important for everyone in the public to make sure they do everything they can to to fall within the confines of that shelter-in-place order. The only other, other thing I wanted to show you guys was I brought you a ventilator to look at. So um, this is a, a portable ventilator. We have 500 of these that we have. Now, these are battery-powered, and these are really portable ventilators, but we have shipped these up to Mississippi State to convert to AC power so they could work more like a conventional ventilator. And, and I'll turn it on for you. And. And you you hook oxygen and air into it, and then it comes up this side and and supports the ventilator circuit. So we should have, this is not certainly the ideal scenario when it comes to the modern computer-driven sort of ventilators that we have, but it certainly is a fantastic uh, and sufficient option for most folks who sustain respiratory failure. Thank you.
7: Thank you, Dr. Dobbs. Um, Obviously, as we move into this next phase, Uh, we are um, looking at the uh, information, uh, the data, uh, the models uh, that suggest that we are going to see more and more cases in the days and weeks ahead. Uh, It is incumbent upon all of us to prepare for that. Uh, You can do your part by staying at home. And practicing social distancing and only leaving the house for essential travel or essential uh, operations of businesses around the state, um, for us, uh, that planning uh, comes in in twofold one an operational phase uh, which we met on today as well as a strategic phase, thinking about every scenario, the most likely scenario, and are we properly staffed with both equipment and individuals uh, to meet the needs of Mississippi? Uh, But also looking at the worst-case scenario and trying to find uh, innovative measures and innovative ways to deal with that. Uh, As we look at the uh, number of ICU beds that are available, we look at the number of ventilators that are available, uh, and then ultimately uh, the number of innovative solutions like Dr. Dobbs just mentioned, uh, where we have the potential of bringing on 500 additional uh, ventilators. Um, for our, our health care system uh, the the main thing here in slowing the spread of this virus is making sure our health care system doesn 't get overwhelmed. Uh, not only do we need um, to understand the equipment that we need, we also have to understand the exactly what the workforce looks like that we're going to need. And so I asked um, Dr. Dobbs and Dr. Clay Hayes to meet uh, a day or two ago, and they did. And Dr. Hayes convened a group of specialists and experts, uh, including Dr. Brunson, here earlier today. And they've made tremendous progress uh, in talking through the issues that need to be addressed. And I'd like to ask Dr. Hayes to say a few words today uh, about that.
8: Excellent. Thank you so much, Governor, and thank you for the opportunity to serve uh, our great state. The physicians are anxious to step up, and we know a lot about preventive medicine, and uh, we know a lot about how to take care of people that are really sick. Uh, we developed years ago something called the Mississippi Healthcare Alliance, which takes care, and it's the number one state in the country that takes care of patients that have trauma, heart attacks, and strokes. And so we thought we have that that model to take care of patients that have COVID. So we're in the process of developing the COVID system of care, which involves the the teammates, the other team members. And it's not just physicians. It's also the important work that nurses are doing on the front line, respiratory therapists, uh, the blood bank, hospitals, all sorts of resources, the EMT uh, personnel that are out picking up patients and and taking care of the people of Mississippi. And we look forward to, to implementing that COVID system of care. And that's who was involved earlier today. Uh, members of all that those uh, different uh, personnel, they were anxious to help us, and we looked forward to put that in place quickly. Right. And, and
7: let me just say that now, if you are a uh, nurse sitting at home in Mississippi today or uh, a respiratory therapist and maybe you uh, took uh, a little time off, Uh, or you retired, um, if you are ready to come back to work, um, now is the time to be thinking about that to help us get through uh, this crisis. We are going to work to bring uh, every health care resource available to Mississippians. Again, I know when times are tough, Mississippians step up. And I know that uh, those individuals that have served uh, for many years in our healthcare care community are going to be ready to step up uh, and help us get through uh, the coming uh, weeks and maybe uh, months. Dr. Brunson, uh, also the executive director of the uh, State Medical Association, a, a longtime physician uh, and really a longtime friend of mine. So, Dr. Brunson, will you talk a little bit about the, the meeting that was had earlier?
9: Well, thank you, Governor, and and, and and as Dr. Hayes, our president, said, thank you for your leadership and uh, Dr. Dobbs for all the great work that you're doing on behalf of Mississippians. Uh, let me just say the Mississippi State Medical Association, our organization of physicians in this state, we have been working tirelessly trying to get the state prepared uh, for what, what, what may be a surge. The meeting that we just had where we convened a number of uh, experts from across the different disciplines that are going to have to step up and help us coordinate the care. The good news that we have is right now, uh, Governor, uh, with all of the physicians that we have uh, in our state and with the number of elective cases that have been postponed, we actually have a glut of physicians. And we are reaching out to those physicians and asking them to be ready and to be prepared. And they have given us word that we're here. We're not seeing elective cases. Whatever we can do to stand up and step up and be ready, we're here and we're prepared for that. So we've got a committee that we put together that are getting these physicians' names uh, and where they're located and what uh, they'll be able to do uh, to step up and help us when when the the surge comes, if it comes, uh, and, and the care that they can provide. We have also been coordinating uh, with other uh, healthcare professionals and agencies such as the Mississippi Hospital Association. We've had meetings with um, uh, the Board of Nursing and the Board of Nursing workforce, the the, uh, physician workforce, as we're trying to plan through what might happen and how we'll be prepared to take care of Mississippians. So a lot of good work is going on. Uh, I think we are as prepared or more prepared than most states in the country. And, Governor, your, your your executive order has done a lot to help us be able to meet that need when it comes. It's inconvenient for folks, and we understand that. But this is going to save lives. And we appreciate your leadership and Dr. Dobbs' leadership and Mississippi physicians and other health care professionals who are ready to stand on the front line and take care of Mississippians.
7: Thank you, Dr. Brunson. I think what I want to reiterate here is Um, these uh, two uh, gentlemen to my immediate left and immediate right represent literally thousands of health care workers all across our state that are going to be ready uh, to step up. Many of them are already treating COVID-19 positive cases uh, in every community throughout our state. Um, When we look at the uh, data uh, in the most likely scenario, uh, as I've told you repeatedly, uh, uh, trust me, we are looking at that, we are planning for that, but we are also going to plan for the worst pray for the best-case scenario, and expect somewhere in between. But we have teams of people back at the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency that are uh, planning for that worst-case scenario, what it would look like. Uh, you know, when you think about the, the challenges that exist, if, if you determine that you had a, enough ventilators within the state of Mississippi to meet uh, what ultimately may be the demand, well, that's, that's just the first step. The next step is then making sure that you have the right number of ventilators in the right spot at the right time. And so from a logistics standpoint, that's one of the things that we're working through now and and are planning for uh, as we move uh, into the weekend and into the early part of next week. Um, I would like to recognize uh, our director of the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency, uh, Colonel Greg Michelle, to give us an update on some of the activities that they are uh,
1: performing. Thank you, Governor. I appreciate that. Um, Just a little update. As I mentioned yesterday, our PPE is starting to come in uh, at at levels a little more comfortable than they were uh, three and four days ago. I just got an update from uh, my logistics manager that we had about 75,000 more masks come in uh, this afternoon as well as some other uh, disinfectant uh, wipes and uh, hand sanitizer, things that certainly continue to be needed. And we've got orders that will be coming out throughout uh, the weekend. The governor mentioned that uh, Strategic Planning Group uh, had met and briefed him out today uh, on plans that have been put into place uh, with information that has been provided uh, from our physicians, and we certainly appreciate that very much. It's extremely helpful. And being able to prepare uh, for that expansion should that case be there. So um, there been a lot of activity going on at the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency working this weekend. We've got another uh, very large push of supplies has been going out all day today to our Tier 1 facilities. Approximately uh, 67 um, uh, healthcare facilities will be receiving Tier 1 supplies uh, throughout the day and even into the evening. And then we had a number of pushes that went out to the counties today. So we are, as it is coming in, as supplies are coming in, we're pushing it out as rapidly as we can. Thank
7: you, Director Michelle. Obviously, uh, we uh, we know that there are limits and constraints uh, with respect to PPEs, and, and no one is getting everything that they ask for, uh, but we are constantly getting more and more masks and, and other uh, critical uh, gowns, um, sanitizer, other things in, uh, and as we get them in, we are using our distribution network, utilizing the resources of uh, the Mississippi National Guard and others to get those to our critical facilities. Um, That is going to continue my commitment is to work every single hour of every day until we get all of the equipment that our uh, facilities need we're going to continue to fight that battle Uh, it is a battle uh, because every other state and every other country across the globe uh, is is working uh, their contacts and and trying to get more uh, and there is a limited supply across the, the land uh, but we are, uh, I believe, getting more than our fair share in this uh, utilizing the supply chains and the contacts that we have built up over many years. We're going to continue to do that. Uh, my, my hope uh, is that we are successful in ensuring that as we move uh, into uh, receiving more and more cases each day, and, and, and quite frankly, obviously, as we see more and more cases, we're going to see a higher, higher number of individuals that need critical care and we've got to be prepared for that. So uh, with that, I'm going to thank everyone for being here and open the floor to a few questions. Ross, I think your hand went up first.
10: Dr. Dobbs, uh, Mississippi is not expected to see the peak until about a month from now, about early May, is that right?
2: You know, that's the tough thing. There's so many models out there. If you look at the the University of Washington model, which is uh, similar to the one that um, the White House and Anthony Fauci used most recently, it puts us really more around April 20th or maybe late
10: April. And do you expect the death rate to rise significantly in Mississippi? Unfortunately, yes. How how much? I mean, we're, we're less than... 30 right now. You
2: know, it's, it's, it's hard to say. It's very hard to predict. Um, you know, it'll certainly be much more than that. I mean, some of the models showing, show us hitting a size of 1,000 deaths, some not as much, with a lot of variability. But wherever that is, it's going to be a lot more, unfortunately. But everything we do now to prevent transmission is going to save lives.
10: And that, that number is based on a shelter in place order? If more people limit their interaction, social distance. you
2: mean the anticipation of less deaths, no, or the,
10: the anticipation of about a thousand
2: deaths? Oh, yeah, includes that in within that so modeling, yes. With
10: shelter in place, we could still see thousand deaths. Oh, oh
7: yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me just give you the numbers, and, and I'm going to I'm going to tell you where these numbers are coming from. Um, the White House, within the last 48 hours, uh, has estimated that we could see between 1,000 excuse me, 100,000 and 250,000 deaths in the United States of America. Between 100,000 and 250,000 American lives lost because of the spread of this virus. Mississippi represents a little over 1% of the American population, uh, which would suggest that Mississippi could see between 1,000 and 2,500 deaths if We simply had a rate that was similar to everyone else in the country. But remember, Ross, what I told you yesterday. The state of Louisiana, their current rate of death is seven times higher than that of the state of New York. Why is the state of Louisiana's death toll higher? Uh, In large part... And again, these are physicians, they're the experts, but in large part, it's because of their demographics. It's because of um, the fact that, uh, generally speaking, uh, many of their residents are um, less healthy uh, when they initially get the virus. We tend to have older populations uh, in Mississippi and Louisiana, and our demographics unfortunately, are more similar to Louisianians than, than we are to uh, some of the other parts of the country. And so um, there could be um, a significant amount of, of deaths uh, in our state. Uh, There's going to be a significant amount. There's already been a significant amount of deaths in our state. Too many, far too many have already passed away from this virus. But as we move into this next phase, as we move into the next 10 to 21 days, uh, it is critically important that uh, the people of Mississippi adhere to the rules that are at hand. Uh, And if we will do that, and if we are successful in building up not only the capacity from the number of machines, the number of beds that we need, uh, and if we're able to uh, continue to get uh, not only the supplies that we need, but also the people that we need uh, to to do that, then we will lessen the impact um, to the extent possible. Cordian?
11: I know that you said that the strategic meeting just happened just a little while ago, but can you talk about what you anticipate that model will look like for this COVID system of care? Would it be like... Go teams of doctors that would go to hotspot areas. Would they likely stay in their community where they're already located? Just trying to kind of get an idea of
7: what that might look like. Let me clarify one thing for you, Courtney. There was actually two meetings that were going on at the same time. We had our strategy meeting, which mainly consisted of the teams at the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency, the Mississippi National Guard, uh, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, uh, as well as the Mississippi State Department of Health. And they had, they added um, team members from University Medical Center, other physicians uh, to help them, to help guide them. And then in addition to that, uh, Dr. Hayes and Dr. Dobbs led a meeting of physicians uh, talking about that piece of making sure that we Uh, had the the personnel uh, ready and able and willing to go. And so I'll let uh, Dr. Hayes or Dr. Dobbs reach and talk a little bit about what that model would look like.
8: Sure. So, again, this is trying to uh, practice preventive medicine. And so the surge is not here yet. And so we're trying to identify what resources we have available. Now, Mississippi has the fewest number of physicians in the whole uh, country per capita. So we need to be wise about how we use those resources. And so we had a collection of physicians Along with uh, hospital uh, people, uh, nurses, etc., administ- hospital administrators, to try to help us identify what resources are available so we're ready. Right now, the physicians and the hospitals have done a good job of basically making sure we have enough beds available. We we do. We we've actually cut back on all the elective procedures that we're doing, and so we have a good capacity right now. But we know the surge is coming, so we need to make sure that we got the right resources in the right place places. And that and that's what we we were doing and also to develop best practice protocols you know hospitals we can learn from the hospitals in new york and massachusetts what works and what is not working and taking those protocols the successful protocols and putting them in place so when the patients come we can provide them with the best care possible uh
12: joe according to the uh, public service commissioner in the north district uh commissioner he said that some uh, land owner landlords have been skirting your executive order and cutting off electricity power uh, to the residents in lieu of uh, residents not being able to pay rent what's your response to that
7: well I, I haven't I haven't heard that I have no one has mentioned that to me we will look into it um, but our executive order is very clear. Um, that um, eviction notices are are not allowable over the next two weeks during uh, this particular um, shelter-in-place order. Uh, That doesn't mean that that the rent's not going to be owed at some point in the future, Uh, but it is certainly uh, imperative that everybody understands that uh, by executive order, which has the uh, fundamental standing of state law, uh, evictions are not allowable uh, in Mississippi for the next two weeks. Yes,
3: sir. Yeah, uh, Dr. Dobbs. Um, we've been getting some reports um, from health officials at hospitals that the testing is taken anywhere. The results are taken anywhere from a week to 10 days. Just wanted to, to ask you if, if there's a backlog at the laboratory and how many tests are you are getting in a day and how yeah. many do you complete in a so,
2: day? So, um, as we released yesterday, the total testing numbers, you know, Mississippi in totality has done uh, over 16,000 tests. A third of those tests are done at the public health lab and the remainder of them are done at private labs. Um, When we did our recent statistics, the average turnaround time from the day it hit, from the time it hit the state lab is a day and a half. So the state lab prioritizes hospitalized patients, outbreak associated cases, and healthcare workers who are symptomatic. So we have that set up for that reason. Um, Some of the overflow of outpatients that may come through will be a little bit longer, but never that long. I mean, that would be, Hasn't happened that I'm aware of. Um, I do know that there's, there's a slowdown at some of the private labs as well, and a lot of times have to be shipped away. Um, certainly, that's something that we're keeping an eye on. And if you know, other than anecdotes, we'd love to see data about that because I have heard certain anecdotes, and it's something we do want to keep an
3: eye on. It's um, it's from a local hospital official oh. here, from a major
2: hospital here in town. Okay, and well, I won't ask you what lab it is. We can talk about that later. As
11: okay. it relates to that number of cases, I got to think about it after we left yesterday when we're looking at 16,000 plus, are any of those duplicates, if you will? Are some of these positive patients being tested again to see if they still have it further into the time?
2: Well, yeah, some of them actually are people who have been repeated, like healthcare workers sometimes have multiple tests afterwards to make sure they're cleared. So some of them will, some very minority, small population will be duplicate tests. So
11: it's still relatively close to that number?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, relatively close, yeah.
11: And I just want to
7: point out, because I think it's important, um, again, I I highlighted this yesterday, Uh, part of our uh, defensive strategy has included the um, the things that we have done uh, with respect to, uh, most recently, shelter in place. Prior to that, the social distancing guidelines. Uh, part of our offensive strategy has included uh, mass testing. Uh, we have now, uh, in Mississippi, tested approximately 5,600 per 1 million residents. Uh, South Korea tested 5,200 per 1 million residents and was, was hailed uh, as a superstar model in terms of testing. Uh, Mississippi is approximately in the top 10 of all states in testing per capita, and and that's a, a huge credit uh, to Dr. Dobbs and his team uh, who were testing very early on at the state lab. It's also a huge credit uh, to all of the innovation that's been done um, at our uh, research facilities at the University Medical Center, at the University of Southern Mississippi, uh, and and at other areas. You know, that's one of the things that has inspired me about this entire uh, process, which has been extremely challenging, uh, lots of decisions to be made, none of them easy. But what has inspired me about this is how Mississippians have stepped up and, and said, you know, we're going to do what we can to help. Uh, Mississippi State University, for instance, taking that um, that. Uh, ventilator that you just saw Dr. Dobbs look at. And they're going to take the 500 of those ventilators and convert them where they are usable. And they're going to do it in the next three or four days. I mean, this is these are people that are working day and night uh, to help make sure that if and when this surge occurs, uh, that we are prepared for it. And it's, it's really been a great thing to see. Uh,
12: Director Michelle and also Purdue Governor, uh, experts are predicting this hurricane season to be uh, severe. Have you had any strategic meetings looking out that far for hurricane season? And it seems to be on the heels of what could be uh, a possible flattening out of the coronavirus?
7: Well, what I would tell you is that, uh, and we and we saw it last uh, Wednesday, I believe it was, when we had a tornado hit in Tishomingo County. The fact that this virus exists in our state, in our country, and, and ultimately in the in the world, um, that doesn't mean that the wind's going to stop blowing. Uh, this could be a very challenging hurricane season. And um, the, the one thing uh, that I do know is, unlike this. Uh, worldwide pandemic, the last one that we saw similar being in 1918, 102 years ago. Uh, we in Mississippi and, and our emergency management officials across the state certainly uh, know how to deal with hurricanes. Uh, and, and our people understand when big hurricanes are coming ashore that we need to be prepared for it. So I'll let Director Michelle talk a little bit about our hurricane preparedness.
1: Yeah, and just, uh, just let me point out to you, and thank you, Governor, just to point out... Uh, Let's not forget, before we get to hurricanes, we got the spring floods and tornadoes. And we're in April right now, which has uh, historically been the, the uh, most dangerous month of the year. So uh, all that to say is uh, we, we are, in fact, looking at that. We have to. Uh, waters continue to rise. The Mississippi River continue to rise over in the backwater area. So. Uh, that's something that we have to be prepared for so absolutely we we look at the hurricane season and are preparing for that which typically starts around june or run through the end of the year so um is it a is it a, a concern uh, absolutely but it's something that we we're we're looking at and being ready for
8: well
7: and what i will tell you is that um greg and his team uh literally have been uh, at the highest level alert at the uh, state emergency operations center uh, they are literally working seven days a week around the clock And as I I think about uh, this lasting for uh, weeks and weeks on end, maybe several months, uh, combined with the flooding, combined with the potential of tornadoes in in the month of April, uh, combined with a hurricane season that starts sometime in late May, early June, uh, this is going to be a difficult year for a lot of very good, high-quality people and very good, high-quality state employees. And uh, my hat's off to them uh, for all that they've done. Yes, sir.
3: Dr. Dobbs, excuse me. Of the patients who are going on ventilators,
0: and obviously those are very important devices, what percentage are we seeing of the patients actually surviving the
9: ventilators who actually get off of them?
2: You know, it, it's really too early to, to tell. Um, we also had questions about, notes sort of, like who, who all's recovered and that sort of thing. What about other states where you see. Them? Um, you know, it, w- that is well known, actually. Um, once a person goes on the mechanical ventilation, especially if they're older, their survival rates are generally pretty poor. It takes a, a high degree of expertise, and it's one of the reasons why we were really looking at the system of care, make sure we brought the right level of care to the to the patient to maximize their outcomes. But if you look at estimates, it, they're they're highly variable. But um, you know, certainly more than half of folks, um, maybe two thirds don't end up surviving if they get to that advanced stage of illness. And again, it's gonna be more likely older folks with chronic medical conditions. And although a significant minority will survive and even thrive as I've been talking to some of my critical care colleagues. It just reiterates how important it is to prevent disease on the front end, and also too to protect our older folks and people with chronic medical conditions, so they don't get in that that situation yeah. in the first what place.
9: Are value you get for
3: the coronavirus in Mississippi? Or are we still looking at
2: that? We we do not. We don't have one here. I mean, we can talk about estimates, and certainly um, anywhere from one point five to two point seven to three throughout the United States, but um, we don't have anything like that for here.
7: What I would say to the people of Mississippi is. Um, While we don't have a specific number of those who get on the ventilator who ultimately get off, what we do know is the best way to avoid major catastrophe with this virus is to not ever need the ventilator. And the best way to not ever need the ventilator is to not get the virus. And the best way to not get the virus is to adhere to our guidelines and our shelter in place order. If you are in the most high risk categories, those over the age of 65 and those who have compromised immune systems. Um, Again, everyone sitting in this room has heard me say this uh, 50 times in the last two weeks. But if you are in those high risk categories, you, you must comply uh, with the shelter in place order. Everyone must comply because the reality is that you could be young and healthy and out and about and having a great time and gathering on, um, the, the sandbar upriver or, um, or gathering at your, your local um, outlet, whatever that may be, um, and you may catch it and it may not do you any harm. But once you become a carrier, you're highly contagious. And you may give it to your mom or your grandmom or your dad or your granddad, and nobody wants to find themselves in a position where they were the ones out of foolish acts of their own in which they were a carrier and handed it to someone who then perhaps found themselves on a ventilator and, and didn't make it. And so please, please adhere to uh, the shelter-in-place order. Courtney
11: I've seen some questions um, coming to us about drive-up or parking lot church services where they say, well, we're going to drive up and somebody's going to be under the awning. What are you telling pastors and churches and congregations as it relates to that? Obviously, they can't be in the building. You talked about that
7: some yesterday, right? Well, obviously, what we we recommend is is to uh, exercise uh, your uh, practice of religion. Uh, the The best way to do it is to stay in your home uh, to to uh, allow for um, either streaming or television services. Um, We have, over the last several Sundays, we've actually done um, prayer services from the governor's mansion. My wife Ely and Emma Tyler, Maddie and I have. And and we've seen literally uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Mississippians join us uh, to do that. And and that's particularly special. And and I will tell you, the the people around our state that have been praying for us, uh, we we feel your prayers. And keep praying for our health care workers and others. for me personally, um, I would prefer that the that, that pastors not do that. Um, and here's the reason why. I don't, again, I'm not a health expert, but if you're in your car by yourself and you drive from your house and you sit in the parking lot and you stay in your car and you leave your windows up, uh, it's not likely that you're going to give this virus to anyone. But what I have seen in the stories that I have heard, even on those uh, who mean well, is that we we are naturally a people who like to socialize, and so I have uh, heard from people who have done that, and and they've said, "Governor, you just you just don't understand that you know we went, we all went, and we stayed in our car." But I watched all of my friends stayed in their car until the pastor stopped preaching, and then invariably. You saw one up here get out and go and say shake the hands of their the car their friends in the car next door. They get out and they go a couple cars down and say hello, and that just defeated the whole purpose of the social distancing guidelines that we put in place. And so, um, I I certainly don't I don't believe that government uh, has the ability to close churches. I believe churches uh, have the uh, ability to um, to offer services, but. There are strict guidelines. No more than 10 people can be gathered in any one uh, location. And what ends up happening, invariably, I'm afraid, at these um, church services, and it's people with the best of intentions, it's just hard to overcome our natural tendency uh, to, um, to get out and say hello. I don't know if anyone else wants to address that question or not. But just,
8: yeah.
10: I had a question for Dr. Dobbs. You were talking about the 500 ventilators going to MSU, but you refuse refused to release the number of ventilators that we have in the states. So how how does the people of Mississippi know whether we have enough ventilators if you want to divulge the the number of ventilators we have in the state? I appreciate
2: y'all's passion for getting this number. Um, And certainly any information we can provide, and certainly if you look at what's happened over the past weeks as this has evolved, we've increased the amount of information available to you guys and to the public. And certainly we're going to add more information. We're going to start reporting out number of COVID patients in ICU, number of COVID patients on ventilators, and that makes sense. Um, And in regard to the ventilator, numbers, although I know Louisiana does do it, most of the states in our area do not do it. And if there's not a public health reason to not report it, such that it, in, the thing that, that is of some concern to some of us is that a number can provide misinformation, and a ventilator is not a ventilator because there's a lot of variability in this. If we can find a way to report it in a way that communicates the availability properly, we will certainly do that. So we're still looking at it, but a frank number of ventilators doesn't really communicate the availability um, that most people would interpret it that way.
10: But I mean, you should just put that number out there and let people know you're saying some of these ventilators are not really ventilators.
2: Yeah, yeah, some of them are um, surgical anesthesia machines that can function as ventilators. So if, if let me just tell you, how Ross, many,
10: how many actual true ventilators yeah. does
2: they have? Um, we have a sufficient number right now, but we, we'll we'll look at sharing more information with you guys. And I, I know you're just dying to get it. But <laughs> there are things that we share that if it's misinterpreted is harmful, and so that's something we really need to think about.
7: Let me say this, Ross. In in, in looking at uh, the number of ventilators that we currently have available it obviously changes every single day because you have people come into the hospital, you have people who leave the hospital. When you look at the number of ventilators that we currently have available, when you look at the number of ventilators uh, that we are uh, retrofitting, uh, either from uh, the AM surge centers, as many are, are actually uh, larger hospital facilities are, are taking uh, those uh, machines that they have in their AM surge centers, which again are not. They don't have all the bells and whistles of the the ventilator that's sitting in the ICU room, as I appreciate it. But when you take those, you take what we have uh, being converted at Mississippi State University, uh, and then you consider the number of ICU beds that we have available. You also consider the potential, the possibility of of implementing, uh, again, in a worst-case scenario, uh, the New York model, whereby, for instance, there are are some uh, facilities in New York, and I believe... The FDA has said this is acceptable, and I believe the State Department of Health has said this is acceptable. If they haven't, I'm sure they're considering it. Um, The New York model whereby you put two beds in one ICU room. Uh, When you look at every scenario uh, that we look at, and uh, with the exception, of course, of the worst-case scenario... Our biggest challenge is not going to be the number of of beds or the number of ventilators. Our biggest challenge is to make sure that we have adequate and competent staff to be able to do it at the right facility. Because I can tell you that I have a thousand of anything in Mississippi, but if I have all 1,000 of them in Tishomingo County and the outbreak occurs in Hancock County, having 1,000 in Tishomingo County doesn't do me any good because the average would tell you I got 1,000 in Tishomingo County and I need 1,000 um, in, in Hancock County. And so in the state of Mississippi, we're fine. Well, we're fine, except for unless you're a patient in in Hancock County. And so that's the reason this meeting that took place today um, that Dr. Hayes led is so critically important because it's about not only having adequate resources, but making sure that those resources are wherever they need to be at the time they need to be there. And the big challenge with that is if you told me today what I was going to need 10 days from now, In Jackson and what I was going to need in Tupelo and what I was going to need in Gulfport I think we could probably all sit in here and say well this isn't that complicated let's just do it the problem is that information changes every single day and 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 so we've got to uh, plan for every scenario and what I'm here to tell you today and what I'm telling the people of Mississippi is that we have the best and the brightest from the medical community in our state that are committed to doing everything in our power to make sure that none of those issues become a, a, a major problem in Mississippi. Yeah. We, we can't blame for everything, but yeah. Dr. Hayes?
8: I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, you know, that's one of the things. You're exactly right. So, it's not just about the machine. I mean, physicians are problem solvers. We deal with problems every day, and how are we going to take care of uh, an issue? And so we're learning from our friends in other states, and we're, we're communicating with physicians. We're not just being in a silo. We're learning what they're doing. And, again, we're trying to bring best practice, those protocols where people are finding challenges. All right, so maybe we can repurpose a ventilator. Maybe we can put two people on a ventilator. There's, there's a lot of different scenarios. So being fixated on a number is probably not the right thing. I mean, we, use different, we can use different machines in different ways. So we're going to solve the problem. We can do that. I'm very confident in the healthcare team. And it's just not the physicians. You know, as respiratory therapists and nurses and trying to use ideas about how to use telemedicine. We were talking about a buddy system. Okay, maybe one hospital doesn't have a critical care specialist, but maybe we can get one for them with using telemedicine. There's a lot of things, a lot of ideas that we have that we can put in place to to take care of patients. Just like uh, UMC has been
7: uh, innovative with respect to testing, just like the University of Southern Mississippi has been innovative with their approach to testing, just like the state health department has been innovative with their uh, uh, testing models, just like Mississippi State is currently being innovative in the conversion of of these uh, ventilator machines, Uh, I am am convinced and I am committed that the top health experts in Mississippi uh, are going to be innovative to find solutions. Um, Again, uh, assuming the most likely scenario, uh, we, we are going to um, put ourselves in a position uh, where we're not in the same position uh, that other states have found themselves in recently. Uh, but remember, every state is at a different point in their cycle today, uh, and that's the reason every state has to make the best decision uh, on every issue uh, for the specifics that are before uh, their state.
11: Not as much a question of of ventilators but of ICU beds early on or uh, I can't remember how many press conferences back now you talked about that some of the rural hospitals might be converting some of the additional space they had and I know that question does come back to staffing for that but do we know any kind of estimate or a number on how many of those rural hospitals have started that process perhaps?
2: I'm not sure what you're what you're referring to
11: there. I think that you had mentioned that some of the rural hospitals and some of the others had additional space after the bed count going down over the past few years and that some of them may be able to rep that some of those spaces for additional ICU beds. Oh, I
2: see what you're saying. Yeah, so yeah. Do we know
11: how many of those rural hospitals or other hospitals have retrofitted additional space to become ICU
2: areas? Great question, because it gets back to this whole other issue with the system of care. So one of the things is, is is not getting the patient to a room, it's getting the patient to a team. And if the teams are in these certain areas, that's what's gonna happen. So you know the current model we're looking at is is getting the patients to where they where they can get the best care. Um, a lot of our uh, health systems um, have been extremely innovative in identifying ways to expand ICU capacity. Um, I would I would say, uh, without a doubt, every health system that has a robust ICU system has found ways to increase their capacity from 50 to 100%, so basically doubling ICU beds by looking at innovative strategies like uh, using unused operating rooms as ICU rooms, or using other sort of like procedure suites or unused rooms in the ER. I've seen a whole bunch of different models. so. That's very promising because that's where the expertise is, and that's where they can get the care. But the other part of this thing we're looking at is um, alternate care sites, which is going to be really similar to the concept of using these other unused areas where when people are convalescing or maybe they're not acutely ill, we need to de- decompress the, the centers of expertise. We can find locations for people to spend the time for recovery and, and then use the entirety of the health care system.
7: It's one of the interesting um, data points and where we find ourselves in america today Uh, this is true in our state but it's true in every other state as well Um, and these docs can speak to it better than i can but i I happen to have a good friend who's an er doc in another state that i happen to be on the phone with recently and their their caseload in their er in a very large hospital in a very large community uh, Non-COVID related was down thirty-five, forty, forty-five percent because people are staying at home. So there's not as many car wrecks. You know, it's a simpleton like me can understand that. Um, and and so, but that goes on and on and on to speak to. There are there are a number of um, uh, there are a number of uh, things that are happening within the healthcare system, which gives us an advantage because those physicians are now available to step up, maybe not in their exact area of expertise, but step
8: up uh, and help the system. Right. So there's something called collective intelligence. And you know, we talk about, you know, what one person may be really, really smart in one area. And there may be somebody else that's really, really smart in another area. But when you put the two together, it, it multiplies. And so that's what we're learning as people are having the time to go read, to learn, to call their other uh, people in their national associations. What are you finding out that's working? We can use that collective intelligence and apply it here to, to our state. So it's kind of exciting, to be honest with you.
3: Yes, sir. Yeah, a question for Director Michelle. Sure. Um, You you said that the the state is delivering PPEs to to hospitals, uh, I believe 67 hospitals and other tier one facilities and that would include nursing homes, correct? If, if they're nursing homes
1: that they have are actively treating uh, COVID patients or have them in their facilities, they would be considered that, yes. So the
3: ones that there's, there's, I think there's 20 counties that have nursing homes that have uh, outbreaks right now. So you're delivering supplies to those nursing homes? As we get them and we get them out, yes. Well, what, are, what are you seeing in general? Are you seeing that these nursing homes have enough supplies or in what are they in need of?
1: Most of the facilities are like the two. Tier 1 hospitals, they do have some supplies. Um, but they're getting, uh, as has been said here a number of times before, they're getting they're getting a little low. Um, so fortunately, our supplies are coming in at about the time. Now, we do have facilities out there that uh, in some cases have run out uh, that are not treating COVID patients. What we've seen is a good level of cross-leveling of those PPEs where necessary. And that goes back to the points made here. These facilities work very well together. But uh, back to your question, we are getting that that, uh, t- that PPE out to those facilities as we get it.
3: So so in general they have enough masks, the ones that have outbreaks that the the workers have enough masks and gowns?
1: they they have adequate masks. If you ask them if they have enough, you would get varying opinions on that. I mean, we we in a lot of cases it comes down to the PPE discipline because we're seeing varying levels of that. They've been good to reuse those masks in some cases more than they probably would on a normal circumstance. But to get them to where they are, uh, but um, uh, it's varying degrees. But we keep up with it as best we can through those emergency managers in those counties.
7: Yeah, if we as a state uh, thought that that we were going to go. In in a similar uh, state uh, of affairs for the next 90 days. I would love, I would want to be able to sit here and tell you I've got 90 days of equipment for everybody in the state uh, that I can distribute. Um, And I'm sure every hospital and every primary care facility would like to say the same thing that in their own facility they have 90 days. Well, That's just not reality in today's world. Uh, The reality in today's world is uh, as we get more and more stuff in, and we are every single day, we are distributing it. um, And as we move further along uh, in this crisis, uh, more and more uh, private sector entities are coming online. There's more production being done. Um, on masks and other things uh, and I can tell you we are working uh, diligently day and night uh, finding every single possibility uh, to find those masks. And I know we've got, how many did we get in today? 75,000. 75,000 in today. Uh, we've got a lot more to do but that's, that's a, at least a step.
10: Governor, i got a couple questions. Okay. Uh, can you talk about your request for a federal uh, disaster declaration? And also, this kind of question from a teacher wondering, when are you going to announce the shutdown of public schools for the rest of the year?
7: Yeah, I'll, I'll answer the second one first, and then I'll answer the, the first one second. The, uh, there's been no decision uh, to shut down public schools uh, for the rest of the year. Uh, you will notice that our shelter-in-place order, uh, which starts at 5 p.m. today, uh, goes until 8 a.m. on April the 20th. That coincides uh, with how long public schools are shut down at this moment. We're going to monitor things over the next uh, week to 10 days uh, and make a decision about schools uh, as soon as we uh, make a decision as to, um, as to when the shelter-in-place order um, may go away as well. And so um, we'll make that decision in, in the coming days and weeks. Um, with respect to the emergency declaration, uh, what I would tell you is that I am absolutely confident uh, that Mississippi will be uh, declared a major emergency uh, because I believe that all 50 states ultimately is going to be declared uh, a major disaster declaration um, and so it, while uh, we have asked for it uh, and I expect it to be granted uh, we are waiting on the final uh, piece of that okay. director Can Michelle you want to, to mention that yes.
10: follow, yep. up. what does that mean how does that differ from the stimulus Bill that's going to be funneling money to
1: different entities, so, uh, counties, and businesses that are affected by COVID nineteen. Yes, so again, go back and add. We actually just got a notification today from FEMA that they actually have our uh, merchant declaration in the queue. That is also includes the five hundred two F, which is the funding stream for the National Guard. They have that. We should be getting an answer back on that. And it has nothing to do with the fact well we got it in. You know, too late or too early. It had to do with when when our, we got our first case in Mississippi. So we're in line with that. Um, as far as the other type of funding, Governor, you want me to address that as well, too? Uh, the funding that will come through that, much like you've heard me talk before about your public assistance and your individual assistance, uh, de- emergency decorations, uh, that will be very similar even though we'll be looking at some different type of response uh, expenses, if you will, PP being one of the bigger ones on uh, some of those things we're making claims. And those will be uh, emergency disaster uh, assistance that we'll be getting. PA was automatic with the uh, with the president's uh, decorations De- emergency decoration The individual assistance is what we uh, submitted for, and that is uh, specific to Mississippi. Would
10: that be businesses that have been impacted?
1: So, your businesses are going to primarily be covered uh, through the SBA uh, assistance, and there's three types of assistance that will come through with that. We've gotten enormous uh, applications. Um, we're, we're assisting that through my office, through my A, and we've had a. Uh, I mean, obviously, we've had a lot of calls, and we're helping people put those together.
7: And that's different from the, the $2 trillion bailout. Correct. Right. It, it is different in the, the $2.2 trillion uh, that was in the bill signed by the president uh, exactly a week ago on Friday evening. Um, there is significant uh, benefits for small business owners. There are significant benefits through unemployment insurance uh, for individuals uh, throughout the state. And we are working to get that information out to everyone uh, in our state
12: do you have an update on the department of corrections uh, if there have been tests done and two if there's a plan in place if someone does come up positive how to isolate and limit
7: yes so um there there has been a um there has uh, as i understand it there has been uh, an individual tested there has been no positive test no prisoner that is uh, currently in a facility has tested positive at this time. Uh, we are uh, working very closely with the Department of Corrections to ensure uh, that um, that social distancing guidelines, to the extent possible, are being enacted. Um, and basically, what that means is um, that the the entire system uh, is taking uh, significant precautions and and almost. Uh, in in quarantine uh, by and large but we do not have a positive test and i think i mentioned this the other day if i didn't uh, i meant to um the the way in which we're doing is we have had uh, patients who are sick uh in the department of corrections as any uh any uh, group of twenty thousand people over the last three weeks you would have come up with some some people who were sick so the 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 protocol that they're using is if someone were to come up sick, were not to feel well, uh, we send them to the infirmary. Uh, as, as is always the case, when they get to the infirmary, uh, we first test them for uh, the common flu. We then test them uh, for strep throat. Uh, and uh, at least um, prior to today, uh, everyone that fit into that category had tested positive for one of those two, and so there wasn't a COVID-19 case. In addition to that, uh, we also uh, cut off uh, visitation. Uh, to our prisons to keep that COVID nineteen from coming into uh, the facilities um, because we know that that's that's critically important. And well,
12: what's the I guess the how are you working with some of these bigger factories like Sanderson Farm and other uh, even on the Gulf Coast where they are some essential but some people may come up with an illness.
0: How are you working to, to mitigate? That? Well, we've been pro-
7: we've been providing our business community guidance. Uh, for weeks on end and I've got to tell you I think um, without question they have stepped up and are doing um, everything they can to ensure the social distancing guidelines uh, that most people that can work from home are working from home Uh, I've talked to employers even who uh, are literally doing a um, temperature test uh, before their employees are, are allowed to get on the factory floor, or get on the floor uh, in, in these essential businesses. Um, we are certainly, uh, you'll see, if you try to get in the uh, state EOC right now, we're doing temperature testing as well um, because we do have large number of people uh, who, who don't have the luxury of sitting this one out. Uh, this is their job, and they uh, take pride in it. But we are protecting everyone by doing temperature tests, including myself, uh, who went in the state EOC earlier today, uh, and so we're we're encouraging uh, our large businesses to to do that as well. Um, and most of them, as I've talked to them, uh, have set up guidelines and are are doing a uh, what I would argue is a uh, and doing a good job at that.
9: Yes, sir. Follow up to his question about MDOC: There have been two deaths in Wilkinson County. Are they from the private prison or not? Right. There's a private prison in Wilkinson. Is are those two deaths from there, or do we know? I'm not aware. I mean, I'm not sure.
7: Yeah, I'm. I'm not. Or are the
0: guidelines for the private prisons are they the same as NDOCs or they have to follow those or what? Uh, Do we
2: know? You mean the well, and I'm not an NDOC expert or corrections, but the federal ones. You mean a federal one or the state? ones?
9: Or the private prisons? I
2: mean, some of the private ones are also federal. Right.
7: Right. Okay. Federal inmates and yeah. a number of them, but um, the, I know the the federal system. I think I read earlier today is shut. Um, has basically gone to a quarantine system as well but uh, again i'm not an expert on that i, I have uh, i have not been alerted that that any of those uh, deaths have come from uh, the the prison system
12: um, i asked you this question yesterday but if it's worth reiterating uh we're about 30 minutes from the shelter in place order going into effect um, what's your message to the people to i guess essentially not run out and take everything off the shelves?
7: Well, the the supply chain in America is working. Americans and Mississippians have stepped up in this time of need. They're doing the right things. What you need to do is when you go to the grocery store, you need to get yourself uh, uh, what you normally would buy for a week to 10-day supply uh, to make sure that you're not hoarding. Uh, this This is the time for caution. It is not the time for panic. And while I can't stress enough how much this disease spreads and how easily this virus has spread from one person to another. Uh, What I can tell you is we're going to continue to make sure that the grocery stores stay open. We're going to continue to make sure that there's product on the shelves, and we are going to work uh, and ensure uh, that, that Mississippians will take care of themselves. But if you're over the age of 65, if you are in that category, uh, where you have a compromised immune system. Um, and I've been urging the, the, the church-going folks around Mississippi to look in their own church, talk to their preachers, identify those people in your church that are in that particular category. And why don't you call one of them and say, hey, can I go get you groceries today? Mississippians throughout the state want to help. They're, they're, I mean, even, even my own friends are texting me saying, what can we do to help? Well, that's what you can do to help. You can go to the grocery store for someone who has a compromised immune system. That may be someone who maybe um, had a cancer treatment recently. That may be someone over the age of 65. That's how you can be a hero in this is to help those uh, that are in the highest risk category uh, stay away from other people and lessen the risk that they actually get it and need uh, one of these uh, ICU beds or ICU rooms or ventilators that we're talking about. Um, if we can keep more people off of those, uh, we'll have better numbers uh, to at the end of this um, than if we cannot. Seeing nothing else, thank you all for being here, and we'll be back with you soon. And Thanks to these.
4: That was Governor Tate Reeves and a number of other medical professionals in a uh, press conference at uh i don't know if that's the capitol building or where it is some government building in jackson but uh let's see you had the uh the director of uh, mema and the uh, director of the state health department and then what director of the physicians association and one other gentleman Anyway, uh, an hour-long press conference, a lot of questions answered. Certainly some people still have questions. We're just inside half an hour until the shelter-at-home or shelter-in-place order um, goes officially into effect for the entire state of Mississippi. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. We're streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Borky, I know you sat and listened to that for the entire hour. Uh, we appreciate uh, those of you who are uh, are listening. Maybe you were looking for Sports Talk Mississippi, and uh, you hung with that. And uh, it's it's newsworthy. Obviously, this is a a unique time, and so uh, we will continue to bring you on Super Talk Mississippi the, uh, the press conferences that uh, come from the governor as we uh, we walk through this strange time. Orkey, anything stand out today that uh, felt like it was different from previous days? Um, Not much particularly
5: different, but it was uh, important to note. I like the analogy as well that if you're going 66 and a 65, you're not going to get pulled over. But if you're going 88, you're going to get pulled over. Uh, And compare that to this situation. Uh, This is a shelter-in-place order that if you continue to go about your business the way you have, through social distancing and and not being a a defiant little jerk – nobody's going to mess with you. You will not deal with police officers. Nobody's going to bother you as long as you just go about your day the right way. Now, if you're going to go... He keeps referencing upriver. That's a local reference. But if you keep doing... Going to the beach on the coast or going out to Sardis if you're in North Mississippi or gathering, then you're going to get messed with. If you just comply you won't even notice that there's a presence,
4: let alone feel inconvenienced by it. Just do your part. Yeah. And I think it's been made a little more clear over the last couple of days with regard to the uh, the lakes in the state of Mississippi that are governed by the uh, Corps of Engineers. Obviously, private lakes and private lands are an altogether different deal. Um, If you go fishing, two people in a boat, uh, you're expected to practice the social distancing rules. Uh, you're not going to be allowed to gather at the boat ramp with other fishermen and talk shop or compare fish stories or anything like that. But you can put your boat in, you can go fishing, you can enjoy being outside. Looks like the weather is going to cooperate at least uh, at least tomorrow for much of the state of Mississippi. So a uh, a good opportunity to get outside. I, I asked somebody specifically. I mentioned this yesterday. Uh, you know, if you want to take a pontoon boat out with your family, can you do that? Yeah, probably so. Um, the problem is, if you try to take your family and another family and another family, and you're loading up a couple of coolers of beer and throwing them on the boat, and you got a big crowd, that's going to get shut down. So you, you you can't do that. Your your point was a good one, Borky. Use your head. Be smart. Be respectful of others, of law enforcement, and you're not going to have any issues at all. Any issues at all? Nobody is naive enough to think that the entire state of Mississippi is going to stay inside on a Saturday when it's 75 degrees out in the spring. It's not going to happen. But if you're outside, hang with your family. Hang with one other person. Don't expose yourself to people that you haven't already been exposing yourself to on a uh, daily basis. And uh, do all you can to uh, help limit the spread of coronavirus. So, let's get back to uh, the normal show. Hey, Dad, Rippy, anything you guys want to add?
0: Stay home. Just, Mississippi's just not don't. China. Yeah, that's true too.
4: Thank God.
6: I heard that. I yeah, I it heard was that quote. quote.
4: That was early too.
5: Somebody texted yeah. in and said you should cut that. I might put it in our show's new intro.
4: Yeah, I mean spot the lie. Uh, so, so in the <laughs> two full uh, Tate Reeves press conferences, there's been a China reference in both of them that we've had, right? I, yeah. I don't know. Yesterday, I wasn't listening to uh, Rebecca's uh, show the entire show yesterday with her, so. Uh, I don't know if that happened yesterday as well, but in our two full press conferences, one on Wednesday and one on Friday, there's been a China reference in there. Not so subtle digs. No,
5: not at all. And, I mean, not to get all Paul Gallo on everybody, but I did see uh, an Gallo article. in of... the morning. You know they don't play Sorry, that anymore, right? Like, if you're a new listener, nobody knows that reference, sadly. He has eliminated that? I think so. Because last time uh, it was brought up to him, he was like, no, nah, I don't do that anymore. Oh, geez. I know, right? But I saw an article, uh, I think it was from the Washington Post, where they did uh, some investigating into the death toll from Wuhan, the epicenter of the entire thing. Mm-hmm. And China's reporting is around 2,500. In reality, it's over 40,000. Um, so anytime you can make a reference to how responsible China is for this, it's appropriate. Hold done. I mean, imagine that. And then, again, not to get all gallow on you, but you had media entities that were just reporting everything that China would say to them without even questioning it, and now the death toll is, in that one city, over 40,000, and they're only reporting to the world 2,500. That's a problem.
4: Yeah, sure it is. We have a texter who says, uh, you don't have to mention me on the air, but he believes that China did this on purpose. Yeah. We can go down the conspiracy rabbit hole, uh, I guess, another day. Uh, Derek in Greenwood says the don't expose yourself to people you normally don't kills my streaking plans for tonight. Dang it. Man, I need to update my soundboard because that would have been a perfect from old school,
5: we're going streaking,
4: but I don't have it. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. At C Spire, they're not just saying they care. They're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day. From free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home, learn more at cspire.com slash cares. I don't know why, but uh, this text really cracks me up. Cracks me up. It is sent in all caps... It is on a Friday afternoon when we should be rolling into week number four of conference play in the college baseball season. This is the text. Come on, Blue. Even Stevie Wonder, Roddy Millsap, and Ray Charles can see that ball was eight inches off the plate. What kind of moron idiot can't see that? He says, sorry, guys. I had to get that off my chest. Well, if you I want to get into the cons- that's what he would have been yelling at the ballpark? Probably
5: so. If you would have, uh, it, if you want to go down the conspiracy road, Stevie Wonder doesn't really fit with the rest of them. Ooh. Ooh. If you want to do that today? <laughs> yeah. The late probably. Charlie Murphy's yeah. got some stories about Stevie Wonder not being blind. If you ever want to go down a YouTube rabbit hole. Yeah. It just makes me laugh, if nothing else. Just the fact that Dave Chappelle was so smart in his comedic genius to just get Charlie Murphy in front of a camera with just a screen behind him and just talk, and he would make episodes out of it, and they were always funny.
4: Lonnie in Guntown says, Listening to the governor, it seems like the technology should allow us to convert scuba regulators to build ventilators.
5: Smart people doing that work,
4: yeah, man, no doubt. Atlanta, you maybe that's something that you could do. It I, uh, whoo, I hear you. I mean, it doesn't sounds necessarily like that's a bad idea or an impossible idea, but uh, that is somebody that will have a, a skill set and brain power that is uh, drastically different than mine. All right. Um, so hey Dad, during the governor's press conference, we got a little piece of news as it pertains to Mississippi State.
0: Yeah, uh sophomore defensive tackle Fabian Lovett has announced he will enter the transfer portal.
4: This has to be related to yesterday, right?
0: Without having spoken to to Fabian Lovett, yeah, it, it makes the most sense, right? That, you know, he was one of the players who tweeted about this. And, uh, it just, you know, like I said, I don't know for sure because I can't confirm it one way or the other. But it, that's what the circumstantial evidence would, would, would lead you to believe.
4: Yeah. So the, I mean, you probably heard about it by now the Mike Leach tweet that, uh, he ultimately took down and apologized for and said if there were, uh, images that he used that were offensive, that was not his intention at all. It was the, um, Internet meme of the lady sitting on her front porch with knitting needles in hand and uh, saying, I'm knitting a scarf <laughs> for you, but the, it was actually a noose. And people got really, really um, offended by that. Some did. That Now, the the other side of that is there were a whole bunch of people that responded, if you're offended by this, you're looking for a reason to be offended. And there's probably some truth to both sides of that. There was, you know, the intention was not to be racist or to be offensive, but I think we kind of all agreed as we talked about it yesterday uh, that noose humor doesn't work in Mississippi. Really doesn't work anywhere, but it especially doesn't work in the state of Mississippi. For that reason, Mike Leach took down the uh, tweet and then uh, apologized for it as well. Uh, There were multiple Mississippi State football players and a professor of sociology at Mississippi state who were uh, a little outspoken about their displeasure uh, on Twitter. And and I say outspoken the, the sociology professor, I I think it was Dr. Hagerman. I I don't remember if I pronounced her name correctly or not. She was very outspoken about it. Football players kind of responded in like acronyms and emojis and whatnot. Kind of Um, how the kids these days do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can't help but and Fabian
4: Lovett was one of the ones who did respond.
0: Can't help but wonder if what we're going through right now. You know, if if Fabian Lovett and Mike Leach could have sat down and talked, would this be different? I mean, I understand they could still talk; they could do a Facetime or whatever. But it's just different when you talk to somebody in person.
4: Yes, it uh, it is very different. And we talked about that yesterday. That you know, Mike Leach surely will sit down with these guys and he'll talk with them, and you know. They'll kind of figure things out, and you know it could potentially be a good meeting and a positive meeting for everyone, but with that option not on the table right now, you get what you get. I mean, right. it, it's hard for me to imagine any other reason, and, and I know your point was a good one, and you were being very careful, hey, Dad, not reporting. I was connecting the dots there, and with players not on campus right now not having communication with their coaching staffs, It's hard to believe there could be any possible other reason for Fabian Lovett at this point to go. You know what, guys? It's uh, April third. I'm going to transfer. I'm going into especially,
0: especially when you consider how difficult it's going to be right now for transfers. You can't go visit other schools right this second. You know, you're just that 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 says to me he had a burning desire to get away from Mississippi State.
4: Yes. and I will say this, if Fabian Lovett felt that strongly about it and was that legitimately hurt or offended, then good for him for taking a principled stand and saying, I'm not going to be a part of this, I'm going to leave. Fair enough. Good. If, if that's how you feel about that, Good for you for exercising the rights that you have at, you know, the whatever that you've got at your disposal to be able to do something about it. I can actually appreciate that more than somebody who is just looking to be outraged.
0: I agree. Is that fair? Yeah, that's no, totally fair. You know, so many people are like, oh, I'm so outraged. I'm outraged, blah, blah, blah. And then they still go do the same behaviors as before. But. Sure. There, there was a person who's just like, you know what? No, I'm not going to do this anymore. You know that 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 tells you that they weren't just offended; they were officially mad. They didn't like that. And I, I you know, I always say the same thing when it comes to transfers or anything else. You know, these guys are, are human beings. They're allowed to live their life. They're allowed to make these decisions. So, you know, if that's what Fabian Love wanted to do, then more power to them.
4: From a football standpoint, what effect does that have on Mississippi State?
0: I mean, he was going to be in the 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 mix for a starting position at the nose tackle at nose tackle, you know, along with Nathan Pickering and uh, the transfer Alan Love, who sat out last year, you know, waiting on his eligibility. Um, so I mean, it, you know, State has has a, a good number of defensive linemen. It's not a, it's not a massive uh, loss, but he is definitely a talented player and somebody that State would have liked to have put been able to put on the field this year. Yeah.
4: So it's. If nothing else, a depth issue
0: yeah at at, at at the very least it's a depth issue i I think pickering Nathan Pickering would have probably ended up as the starter there, just more ta- just a more talented player, but Lovett would have been a really good guy to come off the bench
4: sports talk Mississippi um I need to mention this uh, this is not something that we have uh we've really talked about uh David Johnson who is a reporter at the Ole Miss 24-7 sports site. The the Ole Miss Spirit works with Chuck Roundsville and uh, Yancey Porter and Ben Garrett and uh, and that crew, Uh, and who primarily covers recruiting but also um, covers football and and other sports as well, is in based on – what I've heard from people and some reports that I've read and even a, a Facebook post that his daughter uh, put up earlier today, he is in the most serious of serious conditions right now um, fighting coronavirus. He, uh, uh, His son Eli, who is an offensive lineman at Ole Miss, uh, posted on Twitter a couple of weeks ago that uh, he hated to be the one to share the news, but his father, David, had uh, contracted uh, COVID-19 and was in the hospital Hospital for it. About a week later, uh, there was a post from Eli again that his mother had also contracted COVID 19. Uh, it's my understanding, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here, that uh, maybe her case has not been as serious as David's, and she has, I don't think, had to go to the hospital. Um, there were, uh, Ross Dellinger wrote a story about this. There were some other stories about it that were out there as well. Um, would absolutely encourage you to keep david in your prayers his doctors the nurses that are caring for him uh, but more than anything his family uh, because in addition to the fact that uh, their dad is very 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 sick right now they can't be with him and it sounds like from his daughter's facebook post earlier that that maybe is the, the most difficult time that in this in this time where it feels like to them he needs them the most, they can't be there, period. So if you would offer up a prayer for David and for his family, uh, I know that that would absolutely be appreciated by by all of them. Sports Talk Mississippi. We will take a quick timeout, and we'll be back with you to wrap up the 4 o'clock hour after this. Chris Mannix is a basketball reporter primarily at Sports Illustrated. And there's an interesting story there at SI. It says the NBA is evaluating a slate of potential contingencies for the 2019-20 season, which is in serious danger of being canceled as we continue to try as a country to contain the coronavirus outbreak. But with so much revenue on the line, the league office – only views cancellation as an absolute last resort. So how do you go about finishing the year? Viva Las Vegas, apparently. According to an NBA source, quarantining in one location is the only solution, and Vegas is the only city the NBA is currently giving any kind of serious consideration. Sending 16 teams to Las Vegas to play games in hollow arenas isn't ideal, but it could evolve into a fun one-time event that would bring the game back and, more importantly, to the NBA people, get the television revenue flowing. Close quote. Uh, I mean, I could see that being fun and being different. The reason they're looking at Vegas is because of all the success that they've had with the Summer League there, though, right? That
5: and accessibility.
4: I mean, you have so many casinos
5: and hotels right next to each other and a lot of space and availability that are and all infrastructure closed. that are all closed. So this seems the most viable. I know they – and I heard it and saw it in a lot of places where they talked about like taking over a college campus, but then they were worried just not having enough space. This gives them enough space, enough venues uh, to actually make it work. And I, I see so many people that are just completely dismissive of this idea. That right away, oh no, it'll never work. It'll, it'll never work. It's stupid. Okay, well maybe you think that, but every stakeholder actually like involved in the league, players, coaches, administrators, whatever you want to call those people... Every single one, and maybe the ones that, that are against it just are not outspoken, but you have NBA players streaming on Twitch now every day and stuff, going on Instagram Live. Every single stakeholder here has said they want to do it, that they want to play. Part of it, I'm sure, is they know that they stand to lose a ton of money because there is a cancellation clause in the CBA. So if they don't play games, they don't get paid. I mean, that that's yeah. going to happen. So maybe that's the incentive either way. For the people that are just, oh, this will never happen. It's stupid. The players, the coaches, the the owners, team people, everybody that has spoken about this wants it to happen. And if you have that many people and that much money involved, they will figure it out. I'm just, the last resort thing I'm sure is there, but I, I just keep having this feeling that because they are so motivated to do it, they'll find a way to do it.
6: Regular season is definitely toast at this point. Kind
4: of feels like it. Yeah. How about this from uh, Jabari Young, who covers sports at CNBC? I mean, that's primarily a financial news network, but there's a sports arm there as well, generally on the business side of things. Writes, so there could be format changes to the playoffs with an altered location. The first round and the finals could be best of five series. With the middle two rounds becoming single elimination or single game elimination matchups. They do quickly follow up, say nothing is close to being finalized, but nothing is off the table. That's a strange formatting thought, isn't it? Yeah, I hate that idea. I don't think
6: the NBA would ever go single elimination. I think at the absolute worst they would go two out of three and preferably three out of five the whole way until you get to the five out of or four out of seven finals. I don't see that happening.
4: So you think in this abbreviated scenario they would go best of five, best of five, best of five, best of seven?
6: Or something like that. The 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 single elimination is just everything against the way the NBA is structured, and I get it's different times, but I just don't I don't see that happening.
4: If you needed to abbreviate, instead of going best of five, single single, best of five, why wouldn't you go best of three, best of three, best of three, best of five? Seems like that'd be a better way to do it.
5: They just they have to keep so much open because as and it bears repeating again, nobody knows. I mean, I saw Barrett Salee tweet that uh, we're not getting sports back until there's a vaccine. Well, then I'll see you in 18 months. But you don't know that. It just – nobody knows at all. And
4: it, oh, in, in, fairness, in fairness, that was not actually Barrett's original thought, I don't think. There was a guest on Paul Feinbaum's show today, a former university president at Kansas State, who said to Paul Feinbaum that – until there's a vaccine, there will be no sports.
5: And a former administrator knows as much about that as anybody else talking here, you know? I just.
6: And then South Korean basketball, about to start back up. They played Japanese <laughs> inner squads, essentially, from what I understand, baseball wise. Is that correct?
4: I don't know the answer to that. I do not know.
6: Sports you talk this A couple weeks ago, of them playing baseball in Japan with Mass. <laughs>
0: interesting look. That's
4: how it's supposed to be, right? Jimmy Buffett, spring, April afternoon, just after five o'clock, saying to you, welcome to the weekend. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey, thanks for being with us on this Friday afternoon. We're glad to have you along. The C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. That is the number. Excuse me, for you to be a part of the conversation, if you would like to do so this afternoon at C Spire. They're not just saying care; that they care. They're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day. From free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home, you can learn more at com slash cspire cares time right now for the college football fix college football fix is driven by ford and your local mississippi ford dealers don't forget that your ford service centers are still open and they can take Some of the worry off of your plate. No reason for you to worry about getting your car, truck, van, or SUV fixed. Let the service professionals at your local Mississippi Ford dealers handle that for you. Some dealerships even have pickup and drop-off available. Reach out to your local Mississippi Ford dealer to find out more. And I want to check in on a deal on a Ford F-150, the best-selling truck in America for 43 straight years. Borky, I feel like we need to audible a little bit. As as interested and as intrigued as I am to go down the Bobby Petrino timeline because of On This Day, <laughs> this Apple Watch story seems to be a really big deal. If you have not heard or read anything about this, Nick Saban um, kind of created this on his own. In a press briefing earlier this week, Nick Saban alluded to the fact that um, the new strength and conditioning staff was using Apple Watches to uh, track workouts. Communicate, track workouts, although not specifically track workouts, more like uh, track health information, and make workouts available to the players. And Nick Saban's quote was they were very – talking about the new strength staff, coaches David Blue and Matt Ray. They were very instrumental in setting up this whole program of what we're doing with the players in terms of Apple Watches for their workouts, apps on their phones for weight training programs. We had an issue with some players not having a place to work out because high schools are closed. We put them on banned workout programs. They've done a really, really good job of managing this to this point, and the players have done a really good job responding to it. This is a story at The Athletic from Aaron Suttles, who writes, it didn't take long for strength coaches and athletic departments around the country to begin questioning how Alabama was allowed to provide Apple Watches to their team given the current restrictions during this time in college athletics. One Power Five director of football operations told the athletic, on the condition of anonymity, I have no stinking clue how they're doing it, close quote. There is a ton in this article. It's a long article there are a bunch of quotes. Alabama said it's done nothing wrong. They say they've been in contact at the Southeastern Conference. They know all that's going on. They're not, uh, they're not breaking any rules. Maybe they're in the gray area a little bit. They didn't say that. I'm editorializing. Um, but they're not doing anything that's not allowed. Coaches in other conferences are frustrated because they want to be on a level playing field. Coaches, even within the SEC, as they're learning more about this, are frustrated because, well, they want to be on a level playing field. If this is in the gray area and is not technically against the rules, then I think, once again, you tip your hat to Nick Saban, tip, tip your cap to Nick Saban for figuring out a way to do stuff that nobody else was doing. Right? So, I mean, innovators innovate. And some people are just better at figuring out ways within the confines of the rules to take everything that is available to them.
6: Yeah, except how is knowing what an Apple Watch is and using its capabilities in the year 2020 innovative? Because Lane Kiffin told us two weeks, or I guess around three weeks ago at this point, is they could give guys workouts while they're away, but they're not even allowed to... uh, to, like, acknowledge whether they completed them or not. So tracking them on an Apple Watch, is that really innovative, or is it just against the rules?
4: There is a story Borky was pointing me to just a few minutes ago from Dan Wolkin at USA Today where you've got some quotes maybe even from the NCAA although anonymously Borky that say it is blatantly breaking the rules
5: yeah somebody so that he had to put a caveat on who the source was but it was somebody that was involved with the creation of the rules during this time and it was a blatant breaking of those rules and how does every player have an Apple watch I mean I'm definitely not that guy that when I see a player posing in front of a car thinks that that automatically means the school bought it for him like believe it or not uh, people do have money and they can buy their kids things
4: but when you no, have the school bought them so the school bought all 85 or whatever Apple watches anybody that did not already have an Apple watch before they got sent home with this deal the school bought them and gave them to them The athletics department did. Yeah. And
5: you had to add to this. Eli Drinkwitz, two days ago, was asked about it, and he said, I can't even ask them if they worked out, let alone track their workouts.
4: So, Rippy, you got Lane Kiffin saying we can't – basically what Drinkwitz said as well. We can't Uh, even confirm that they did them or not.
6: Yeah, basically. He's basically said they can give them like stuff to do, but can't like ask them if they completed it or even really technically know if they completed it. Maybe like a wink-wink thing, but technically, yes.
0: Sort of like voluntary workouts for the NFL. And sometimes voluntary things aren't actually voluntary.
4: So look, we're going to send you these workouts. We can't ask you if you did them. But we are going to eventually come back together. And when we go through our first conditioning test, we won't have to ask you if you did them. The results will be abundantly clear as to whether or not you have done the workouts or not.
6: I've got a question. So, what are the odds? You've heard this from Kiffin Drinkwitz. Are there any other coaches that have commented on this?
5: Adam Rittenberg had uh, a couple of coaches anonymously tell him that they are very confused how Alabama is able to do it because they are under the impression that's against the rules. So.
6: so if I said something against FCC guidelines and Haydad said, hey, that's against FCC guidelines, and then Richard said, hey, that's against FCC guidelines, not that that would ever happen or I would do anything like that ever, and Borky then said that's against FCC guidelines, I said, no, it's not. What are the odds that I'm right?
4: Very small.
5: I don't Warm. know. i, I, I do say know, slim
6: Rippy. to none.
4: I, well, yeah, but that's never stopped you before. <laughs> not as it relates to FCC <laughs> but, guidelines, okay, okay. but that's, that's, we went down that's... some road not too long ago where I was like, "Rippy, that's not true." You're like, "Yes, it is."
6: I'm like, "Oh, you're wrong." What was the venerable bench thing? Yeah, yeah. Okay, but 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 okay. Me, if I knew it was in the gray area or like pushing the rules, what are the like? Even if that's the case, why am I like openly admitting it? I guess too, which seemed to be what happened here, right? Well, that's, what I
4: was, that's one thing I was curious about. Nick Saban doesn't slip up. He doesn't say anything accidentally. He uses the media. He uses the media to get messages to his teams. Did Nick Saban just have his biggest public slip-up ever? That, Did he say something that wasn't calculated that is going to turn into a really big mistake? That or
5: somebody in compliance got the you-know-what chewing of their life uh, right after that press conference.
6: I'm just going to guess that he slipped up before, but uh, no one has actually like written the story in some other, maybe lesser or greater capacity through the years. Just a guess.
4: You know what I'm going to guess? That this has ruled a uh, secondary violation.
5: Oh, it'll be nothing. I mean, that's the thing. College football in a nutshell. I tweeted it the other day with the uh, quote from Drinkwitz. It, that's just, that's what it is. The playing field is not even. No, nobody's even batting an eye. Nobody cares. Alabama just blatantly breaking the rules. Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri complying with the rules. And guess who's currently under NCAA sanctions? Yeah. It's Missouri. Alabama fired a coach after he clearly broke NCAA rules involved with a recruit and didn't even warrant an investigation. They just let him go and, hey, all good here. They play by a different set of rules. It is an undeniable fact.
6: What a sport.
4: And if, if we're being honest, if it's as abundantly clear to all the other coaches as it seems to be, this isn't accidental. This is blatant cheating.
2: Scales
6: and clocks just can't be trusted. Keys and locks.
4: Forky, I started season three of Ozark last night. Did you? Oh man. Yeah. I went
6: the Tiger King route last night.
5: Sorry to hear that.
4: Everybody keeps telling me that when you start Tiger King, even though it's absolutely ridiculous, it just like grabs you out of the gate and won't let go. Did you have that experience?
6: I would say that is accurate and like I don't really get like that kind of stuff normally doesn't cater to me, but it was one of those things where like why am I watching this but at the same time I can't stop. That type of that type of feeling.
5: It's so well done and well formatted. The first two episodes, you don't get into why I'm, You see some signs of, hey, maybe this dude's got some issues, but you don't get into, like, oh, he is a terrible, terrible, terrible person until after they grab you and make you kind of like him.
6: Like, he's Hey, I'm not done, so if you you spoil it, there will be FCC violations.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, don't worry. I'm not going to spoil it. Are you you? going to stick with it all the way through?
6: Yeah, I got through, like, four and a half, and there's only seven, so I might as well finish it, but... I guess along what you were talking about, I haven't caught up with Ozark, but I'm on like I guess the end of season one. Shows pretty wild, gets wilder. Pretty wild,
4: it does. That, that's uh, that's true. That is absolutely true. Sports talk Mississippi with you. Glad to have you along this afternoon. Text line is open. The C Spire text line 601 six zero one eight seven nine four three. Nine five six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. Do we need to carry on with the uh, Alabama stuff, or can we move to Bobby Petrina? I think we can move to
5: it. It's just it just bears repeating. And uh, look, maybe I have no doubt actually that coaches are actually checking in on their players to make sure that they're still doing their thing. I mean, some of these kids being out of a controlled environment's not good for them, uh, and so they need the structure. And I don't think there's anything wrong with coaches keeping track of their players in their workouts. But if that's going to be a rule in place and Alabama's just out here flaunting it, yeah, all of our kids got Apple Watches, the scrutiny should match what it is. But it never does, does it? It, it, We could talk about this for days and not get anywhere. But the playing field's uneven. It'll always be uneven. There is a protected class in college athletics, and there is an unprotected class The schools here fall in the unprotected class category, by and large, and one state over and half a state below are protected, and you can't convince me otherwise because I've got more evidence to back it up than you would.
4: Porky, are you able to wear the tinfoil hat underneath your headphones, or do you (laughs) wear it on top of them?
5: But it's true. It is very, very true. And it, it underscores the point that there was a guy, an LSU booster, that was using a hospital charity to funnel money from booster to recruit and to player, and nobody even cared to talk about it. The only national column that got written was, wait, why is nobody talking about this? The dude's going to prison. And it's just, ah, whatever. Oh, who cares? Who cares? Yeah, LSU got all these players just because they just, they love Saturdays in Tiger Stadium. That's not how it works. I'm not naive. But if that were Arkansas, if that were Arkansas that had a hospital in Bentonville, that had a guy that was funneling money through a children's hospital charity to recruits, it would have been handled differently. It would have been treated differently, covered differently. Everything about it would have been different. But because Ed Orgeron's got a funny accent, and they're for some reason in this protected class because people think that LSU should just be good, so who cares how they're getting players, they get treated differently. Is absolutely
4: true. So you're saying if that story had happened in Mississippi? Oh my gosh, you,
5: man... You remember how National Signing Day 2013 was received, and I know
8: what happened
0: afterward.
4: Hey, Dad, do you agree with that, that this story would have been covered differently if it had involved Mississippi State or Ole Miss?
6: 100%. 100% I agree with Bork. Would people like pro sports as much if Roger Goodell or Adam Silver policed a handful of teams different than the other ones? That's the beauty. See,
5: that's why I'm... The more I I am in this business and the more I, I guess I've learned... The more the I trend no, towards professional way. sports, of course, the answer's no. But that that's why I'm starting to like the NFL more. Because everybody's got, they've got a salary cap. There are, more, there are teams that are more attractive than others. Like, more people want to play for the Dallas Cowboys than the Buffalo Bills. But they all have the same draft, they get players the same way, and they can pay their players the same amount of money. The playing field is as even as you can possibly make it, so there's more parity for one, but at least I know that it's, it's fair. It's not that way in college sports. And look, I love going and to And even games. when I the New England
4: do. Patriots, even when the New England Patriots break the rules, they get punished.
5: Eh, sort of. <laughs> but they do though. It, that does happen. Tom Brady got this Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback to ever live, got suspended. Yeah. What happens? When Alabama has an assistant coach blatantly break NCAA rules to Nick Saban, what happens to him? Nothing. I mean,
4: nothing, obviously. For the second time this week, we will mention the name of a famous Mississippi State alum, Brian Haydet. Okay. Dr. Alan Sills. And this is a um, this is an interesting quote from, uh, from him. Probably not exactly what you want to read if you are a college football fan. Here it is. As long as we're still in a place where when a single individual tests positive for the virus that you have to quarantine every single person who was in contact with them in any shape, form, or fashion, then I don't think you can begin to think about reopening a team sport because we're going to have positive cases for a very long time. That may be true. Do you believe it to be true? I mean, medically what he's saying, I think, is very, very sound. But, like, the first response to that was, I get sports are a lot different than everyday life, But if we wait until this thing is 100% gone and no one is testing positive anymore, the economy will crumble and we will have more people dying from being homeless and starving than the virus itself. Another response, this is never going to be 100% gone. This line of thinking is ridiculous. Can it be medically sound and accurate and untrue all at the same time? Kind
5: of feels like that's our reality, doesn't it?
4: I mean, this is unprecedented. news News flash, the world cannot stop for 18 months. Nope. We are very fortunate where, where we sit right now because we work in an industry where we are considered essential employees. We're continuing to disseminate news. Um, many of the partners that we have on this show are continuing to do their work. I Guys, I got news for you. If we don't go back to normal life for a year and a half, If it takes 18 months and that's fast tracking it to get a vaccine, we're not going to have jobs. Nobody will. I mean, outside of just a few pockets of industry, nobody's going to be able to operate. And even those pockets of industry, nobody's going to be able to pay for anything.
5: We've already got 10 million people without them right now.
4: Yes. Yes. Ten million unemployed in the last two weeks. Is a staggering number. And, and, and I'm not, I'm not in the, the camp necessarily of the president a week ago, where, man, we're going to have everything rolling again by Easter, and that's a week from Sunday. That's like nine days from now. That's obviously not the case. We've got stay-at-home orders in the state of Mississippi until the 20th, and recommendations from the CDC until April 30th, and projections that it's going to be mid to late May or mid to late June before the curve starts flattening, and all of those things. Okay, those are all time frames where we can go, this is going to be hard, and this stinks, but we can recover. The world cannot stop for a year. I don't think. I mean, it, at some point you have to pay, make a mortgage payment, right? And you have to be able to continue to pay for groceries. And I mean, we're we're all going to be hunters and gatherers and garden growers to feed ourselves and sleep in tents. I I, I don't know. I don't feel like you can stop everything though until a vaccine is developed and this is one hundred percent gone. But it's a. An interesting quote from Alan Sills, who is the chief medical officer for the NFL. Now I don't
6: know.
4: On your television this weekend, at uh, 1 o'clock tomorrow afternoon on ABC, you can watch game six of the 2006 NBA Finals, Lakers and the Boston Celtics. And then on Sunday at –
0: do what? That's not 2006, then.
6: That'd have to be 08.
0: Either 08 or – Or 10. Or 10, yeah.
6: Well, I don't know. I'm just reading the
4: release from ESPN. Hmm.
0: Imagine that. ESPN gets it wrong again. Next thing you know, they'll be calling the Lakers, the Celtics. You never know.
6: 06, which I believe, was that first Dirk finals where the uh, yeah, it's, Shaq it's and uh, D-Wade yeah. got him. Yeah.
4: Okay, maybe it's 08. I don't know when it is. It just says 2006 here. Uh, Saturday you get game six, and Sunday you get game seven. On ESPN, at 11 tomorrow, the Basketball Hall of Fame announcement will be made, and then from noon until 10 o'clock tomorrow night, Basketball Hall of Fame Classics Marathon, if that's your deal. Do you you see who's getting inducted this year? They haven't announced it yet, have they? Uh,
5: Somebody broke it earlier. It's uh, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, and the late Kobe Bryant.
4: Really? Yes, sir. No Eddie Sutton? Those are the three I saw earlier,
5: anyway. Gotcha. Gotcha. Tim Duncan, I mean, Uh, if you're doing a starting five, I know we don't really do these kind of things on this show that often. I would like to think I'm more creative than that. But if you're doing like an all-time starting five, leaving Duncan off of it, it's kind of tough. Because his game was boring, people don't realize how just absolutely special he was.
6: He was also a center that no one wanted to call a center. Yeah. Sure. Sure.
4: Hey Dad, ESPN on Sunday from two until six, WrestleMania thirty five. Yeah. You on board with that?
0: I mean, it's it's not a great WrestleMania, but I mean it's on, I guess. Gotta remember I have it, the network, so uh like anytime I want to watch these anyway I can I can just watch them. Okay,
4: I didn't know they were available. Uh and oh, then you yeah. got Notre Dame Mississippi State National Championship game at eight. Yeah, I'd
0: rather let you come kick me in the uh wherever uh-huh. than I'll rewatch uh, that hear
4: you. uh ESPN two on Sunday, a Brock Lesnar marathon from five AM until ten A.M. at ten AM Central Time, the twenty twenty Bassmasters Classic, and then from eleven until eleven it is Esports Day on ESPN two. Madden NFL 20, F1 eSports Virtual Grand Prix, so that's Formula 1, Season 8 of the Rocket League World Championships, and then from 5 until 9 o'clock, the NBA 2K Players Tournament. A matchup at 5 between Montrezl Harrell and Domantas Sabonis. Donovan Mitchell against Rui Hachimura. Devin Booker against Michael Porter Jr. Andre Drummond against DeMarcus Cousins. You can watch them play video games on your television.
0: Hey, Mississippi's own Devin Booker.
4: There you go. But not Ole Miss or Mississippi State's own Devin
5: Booker. No. Own. no. The NASCAR race uh, pulled over a million people with uh, the drivers doing it. I doubt this will get that kind of number, but people are thirsted for it. I mean, that... Uh, Texas-USC game almost had 400,000 people watch it last night. How many people? Almost 400,000.
4: It's one of those things where for the entire time that I was seeing tweets pop up, I was like, I really want to turn that on and watch it. But there was like constantly something else going on, and I wasn't able to do it. I'm not a
5: big watch old games over and over again kind of person. Yeah,
4: but if you were going to pick one, that might be the one. That to might
5: watch. be the one over and then the Rose Bowl we talked about yesterday, but it's just, you know, the 2018 Arkansas LSU game. No, I'm I'm good. I'm okay.
4: I don't need to see that again. I forgot how boring the SEC Championship game was last year with LSU and Georgia. Ooh, you want to talk about a beatdown. Yeah, can't wait to watch Goodness. that again. It was on last night or Wednesday night earlier this week sometime. I'm talking Be down. Joe Burrow was so good. So good. Uh, I'll give you two choices. Bobby Petrino or what golf looks like they're going to do. Bobby Petrino. Or wants to do. Bobby Petrino. Uh, It was on this day in 2012 when Bobby Petrino held his infamous neck brace on press conference. Mm. April of 2012, Petrino involved in a motorcycle crash on Arkansas Highway 16 near the City of the Crosses. I'm sorry, City of Crosses. He was riding with former Arkansas All-SEC volleyball player Jessica Durrell, whom he had hired on March 28th as a student-athlete development coordinator for the football program after she served as a fundraiser in the Razorback Foundation. Petrino initially said that he was alone on the motorcycle. However, on April 6th, just minutes before a police report was to be released showing Darrell was also on board, Petrino revealed that Darrell was not only a passenger but that he had been conducting an adulterous relationship with her. Jeff Long, who was the AD at Arkansas at the time, placed Bobby Petrino on an indefinite paid leave of absence while he reviewed the situation. April 10th, Long announced that Petrino had been fired. During Long's investigation, it was discovered that Petrino made a previously undisclosed $20,000 $20,000 gift to Darrell is a Christmas present. Nice Christmas present, by the way. Also revealed that Darrell may have you received preferential treatment. You guys did
7: send me treatment.
4: a card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you're not going to get an invitation to ride on a motorcycle with me either, bud.
0: I wouldn't take that invitation, I promise.
4: Uh, shockingly... Uh, Darrell may have received preferential treatment in her hiring on the football staff as the relationship was not disclosed and Petrino was on the hiring committee. Long determined, Jeff Long determined that Petrino's attempts to mislead both him and the public about the accident and his relationship with Darrell were grounds for Petrino to be fired with cause. Long said in his formal termination letter that he would have never allowed Darrell's hiring had Petrino disclosed his relationship with Darrell, and concluded that this and other lies on Petrino's part, quote, negatively and adversely affected the reputation of the University of Arkansas, close quote. Long also determined that the $20,000 payment could expose Arkansas to a sexual harassment suit if Bobby Petrino were retained. And yet, Arkansas fans, for the most part, were furious that Jeff Long fired Bobby Petrino.
0: And would take him back today. It's amazing what losing
4: mm, does for you. Nah, you think they would at this point?
5: Yes, I guess maybe not.
0: Ah,
4: over, yeah, over I don't, I don't yeah, think so at would. this point. Oh, they're all in on Pittman until he goes 2-10. Yeah, but I mean, surely even the, the most ardent Bobby Petrino supporters at this point can look at it and go, yeah, this wouldn't work now. It worked then. It might would have continued to work. Things really haven't been the same since. But I don't think you can recapture that a decade later. Not with what he's accomplished or not accomplished since then.
5: What well, do you mean the head coach had what is it? Missouri State uh, is not appealing to you? He did get hired again, didn't he? Yes, he did. It's Missouri State, I think. The Bears? I think you're right, yeah.
6: He edged out Art Briles, right?
5: Oh, that's right. They floated yeah. Art Bryles out there to, to make everybody think, oh, well, at least they didn't hire him when they hired Bobby Petrino. That
6: was PR 301. That was amazing, day. Oh, yeah.
5: Just like Iona hiring Rick Pitino like the day after
4: all sports got canceled, <laughs> like nobody even noticed. It was brilliant. And Rick Pitino, by the way, is recruiting like mad at Iona already. He's got like six or seven guys in the recruiting class and pretty highly rated as well.
6: No way! I, I know that's really shocking. To right? To look up and see one day when one of those kids in the McDonald's slam dunk contest whips out an Iona jersey under the McDonald's one. <laughs> <laughs>
4: probably just as well for Rick Patino that that's not happening this year <laughs> yeah the, the the all-american game anyway or I assume it won't let's wrap up